0: Dan Rouse, how are you? I'm fantastic, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. We've made it to episode number six of Newspapers on Seats. Uh, You know, we're in the double digits in listeners so far, so I guess we're growing that audience a little bit, bit by bit.
1: Yeah, we're not too bothered about that, though. This is just an excuse to have a drink during the week, really, isn't it?
0: That, that too. Although, and uh, so, on that topic I'm going to open up mine first from Niagara on the Lake Woost house it's spelled O A S T I believe it's pronounced Woost the Barn raiser, country ale it's uh it's not bad they do some good stuff down there in Niagara on the Lake it's
1: not just for wine No but Barn is quite a decent beer I've had that one before I quite enjoy that one I just found I found this one in the beer store the other day which I'm drinking it's by Mikella who were originally based in Copenhagen. But I think they've got a spot in Brunswick who were kinda of dish their beer out and brew it. And it's called Fresh Start. And surprise, surprise, it's a new New England style Pale. Ale. <laughs>
0: but no. I know. shocker. I, I try to av- I'm trying to avoid the it. I trying
1: to avoid them because like honestly, like every single time you're in the LCBO or anywhere every new style of beer is a New England IPA. And I'm just kind of like a very nice, but I I probably prefer a West Coast ale. I don't know. Like I, 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 I'm sorry, West Coast IPA. I don't know. I, but whatever it's wet. I'm thirsty. I've been parenting alone this weekend, so I'm looking forward to it.
0: Dangerous to me. Pretty much IPAs all just kind of smell and taste like pine needles for the most part. So, um, I'll enjoy what I'm having here, and you do you over there. Uh, (laughs) Today, we have, would you call it a theme? The letter B? It's like a Sesame Street episode?
1: Yeah, we're being really loose with this one, aren't we? I think we've had a P episode before, but yeah, um, a a B episode today. And even our
0: our theme is about as loose as it can get. The team and the city itself are Grimsby, not Ontario, We're going back over to England for another one of Dan's small-town stadium adventures, and then we'll switch things up. One of my random Canada men's national team adventures covering the team in a friendly in Bermuda. Not exactly a CONCACAF powerhouse, but it was, well, it was another one of those interesting trips. So um, let's start with you, Grimsby. It's more than just a Sasha Baron Cohen movie that did poorly at the box office. Grimsby, home of Grimsby Town FC of League Two. And this is where the letter B comes in, Blundell Park. Now, Dan, guide us through that adventure.
1: Well, um, I went there with my mate Jack from university. Um, It was the season I've mentioned before in this podcast, 2009-2010, where I crammed in 63 games when I should have really been studying in my final year at university, um, and this is one of the trips we did, which was in March of that year. Um, I kind of feel like I should just get the football stuff out of the way. Um, <laughs> it's a football podcast, <laughs> but we don't want to talk about football. Like, and it's well, not... they're, they're in League 2,
0: so how memorable could the soccer part have been? So yeah, let's just get through that, and then let's talk about Grimsby itself.
1: Well, it, was a, it was a bit of a disaster game, really. Um, you know, Shrewsbury were actually somehow putting together a decent season, despite being managed by Paul Simpson, um, who actually went on to... Managed England to under twenty World Cup glory somehow because he wasn't a good Shrewsbury manager in my view, um, but he, you well, know, Shrewsbury were somehow putting this run together. They'd had a couple of good youth players coming through. Um, you know, a player called Dave Hibbert who wasn't previously that great was suddenly scoring goals. Uh, Terry Dunfield was in the team. Little, uh, you know, little Canadian nod there. Um, yeah, it was just a strange team, um, but they were you know around the playoff areas and. They went over to Grimsby and I kind of thought this was a bit of a banker, this one. Um, it was, you know, Grimsby had gone 24 league matches without a win when we went there. It was an outrageously <laughs> bad run. They were um, six, seven points, out, you know, deep in the relegation zone while Shrewsbury were in sixth place. So, you know, it, and even Shrewsbury kind of like... Decided they didn't want a player on loan early in the season called Jamie Devitt, and yeah, apparently he surplus the requirements. So he went back to Hull, and then Hull loaned him straight to Grimsby. So it just felt like they were having like you know feeding on Shrewsbury scraps. it just weren't very good. It just seemed like an absolute banker. Um, so obviously you're probably guessing what's coming. Um, Shrewsbury lost three nil, um, and <laughs> and the, uh, the the guy who Shrewsbury kind of like cut loan cut his loan short, Jamie Devitt was absolutely loving celebrating the goals in front of their away fans, which, uh, you know, if you were a player, you'd definitely do it yourself. But as an away fan, there's nothing more annoying than that. Um, so, oh, yeah. yeah, the game was, um, for, well, not forgettable because of what happened around it. And that's what we really talk about here, isn't it? And it's kind of been a trip that's absolutely fascinated me since. Um, I kind of find the whole British seaside thing... Kind of interesting, anyway, in how they kind of um, developed since around the nineteenth century and stuff. But Grimsby slash Cleethorpes, because Grimsby town actually play in Cleethorpes, which is you know pretty much connected to each other on the uh, northeast coast. Um, they, it's like going back in time. Um, my mate who's been there before, because his uh, his gran actually grew up on Blondell Avenue, which is right next to the ground. Um, he's Canadian. He's actually from Peterborough um he described the place as a cultural waste cultural wasteland and he's absolutely spot on it's it's actually like influenced two short stories i've written since um it's an absolutely fascinating place but probably for not the reasons that many people will go visiting it
0: well i mean yeah grimsby it's on for those of you don't know it's near hull on the west coast sort of well northwest of london um what what made it so fascinating obviously there are ties to the sea for like any sort of maritime village but uh what
1: what made grimsby so memorable for you well you have to indulge me a little bit here i think um i'm gonna nerd out a little bit so like there's a lot of you know seaside towns in the uk that are kind of like Popularized and kind of built up to kind of service like you know the working class people who you know perhaps couldn't afford to go anywhere, maybe didn't even have a car, so they could be able to jump on a bus somewhere and stay there for a day or two, or maybe just go for a day out. So, like an example, which I went to quite a bit when I was little, was Blackpool. Um, so Blackpool's in the northwest. Um, it's not too far from Manchester, Liverpool. So it certainly serves people from there. Um, you know, as I said, they can catch a bus there if they like. And, you know, I remember going there as a kid and having some really, really nice times. You know, they had, like, little amusement arcade things there. Um, I remember riding a donkey on the beach. I even remember its name. It's called Popeye. Um, but I noticed as I got older, it got a little bit grimier, a little bit more empty. But what was there? It wasn't families anymore. It was more... You know, stag do's and hen do's and just like debauchery really it just didn't seem you know, even as a young kid i thought well, it seems a little bit you know a bit rough a bit dodgy now and it's because you know a lot of around the probably 90s that's when EasyJet came out and these people who would have gone on these really cheap holidays to blackpool were suddenly jetting off to you know benedorm in spain or maybe going to a euro camp in in france or something like that so the tourism was really, really hard hit in many of these seaside towns. So, for example, my sister in a previous job, you know, worked in a lot of disadvantaged communities, and she was in Blackpool one day, and she just stood there with a guy who was showing her around, and he was basically pointing from house to house, and he was just going, "Crack den, brothel, crack den, crack den, deserted. Every single house had a history, and it was sordid, and it and it was just." Just complete deprivation. Um, it's quite, de- you know, it's obviously very depressing, um, and it, a lot. It's happened yeah. to a lot of these seaside towns. But the thing with Grimsby and Cleethorpes is, not only did it suffer this in the nineties, about 20, 30 years before, they were hit with the cod wars, which was a dispute with Iceland, um, where they basically disputed over fishing. Plots in the North Atlantic. Um, Iceland really flexed their muscles over this one, um, and wanted, you know, to have
0: Iceland's mighty muscles.
1: I know it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's absolutely unbelievable that they did this. Sorry, when you think
0: about it, the you know the once mighty British Empire, the sun never set on it, losing a you know a conflict. It's not a war, war, but. To
1: Iceland, I know, and it's and it's three. No offense to Iceland. No, well, I know. I don't, I don't. I'm sure they don't even have a military nowadays. But they, they, they had um, three three waves of cod wars, and it got quite nasty. Where boats were, like firing you know, warning shots at each other and deliberately ramming each other and stuff. And you know, eventually after three waves of it. Iceland won um, because they threatened to leave NATO, um, which would have upset the Americans very much. And then the Brits, to appease the Americans, just said, "All right, then go ahead. You can have your yeah, have this fishing area." So, you know, fishing areas that have been, you know, farmed for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, especially when Grimsby and Cleethorpes were thriving in the nineteenth century, were suddenly not theirs anymore. Um, so that hit them really, really hard. Um, there's always been an animosity towards the government there. Since then. Um, and then also, there's the EU Common Fisheries Policy in 1983, which was designed to tackle the problem of overfishing. But you know, apparently, from what I can research on it, it just led to British trawlers not being forbidden from fishing in their own waters and you no know, trawlers from other countries being al- allowed to do it. So they feel very neglected, Grimsby and Cleethorpes. They feel very angry. Um, I think that's the reason why a lot of them stupidly voted for Brexit um, with, with with the promise that you know, the fishing industry would boom after Brexit comes in, which obviously it didn't. Um,
0: that was my next question, as I wonder how they went in Brexit and you answered it right for
1: me. Yeah, honestly, like it, it was a, I think it was a bit of a landslide, especially for the working class vote there. And I mean, you can kind of understand why they're upset, but they're kind of directing their anger in the wrong way. It should be directed at the government, um, particularly conservative government, because that's where a lot of this went wrong. But, you know, just to say, you know, it used to to be booming for fishing. Now only 5% of its fish comes from the sea. 95% comes, you know, it's transported there to get processed. So it's been really, really hit hard. And, you know, now it's a long meandering way just to say that this was a a really, really tired town. Um, You know, lots of deserted places, boarded up places. Um, Do you know what those um, 2P machines are, if I say 2P machines? Or actually, I should probably just describe this just because, you know, yes, a lot of people don't know. it. <laughs> so it's basically, um, we went. me and my mate Jack went to an amuse- amusement arcade, which were like, you know, booming when I was a kid. You know, anywhere you go, Blackpool, Scarborough, wherever. And um, it's kind of like a tray kind of going in and out, in and out. And you basically drop a 2p in the top of this machine. You're trying to get it so it lands when a tray's out. And then when a tray goes back, it basically pushes loads of other two p's over the edge of the tray, and you get them. You get to keep that money. So it's like a kind of a really old-fashioned cheap. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. I do.
0: I, I have seen those. Now that I think of it, yeah. Yeah, it's, and I like, had no idea what it was called,
1: but and if, and if you well, it's probably not a real name for it. But you know, if you're really high roller, you can go and do the five p or ten p ones. But you know, I'm not Floyd. Way- Floyd Mayweather. So you know, I just did the two p ones, um, and we were the only ones in there um it was crazy and it was a weekend it was a you know a fixture in lead two so it was like 3 p.m on a saturday so we were there about midday and yeah so we went in there it was empty we won a few two peas enough to get some fish and chips um which was excellent by the way really good um
0: thank you for answering that next question as well because you know goes
1: hand in hand with being right on the water yeah i mean you you kind of hope so i I think there are some shops there that still it's cheaper for them to just get the frozen stuff in but this one was fresh it was really nice um but otherwise, just, it was really empty and tired. Um, it was just, um, the pubs were really quiet. Um, there were like you no know, old blokes sat on benches by the sea, just swigging out of brown bags. Um, it was, it was, oh my God. Yeah, and as I say it's- Well, ins- I mean,
0: it's a, con- it's a common story in the UK these days with a lot of those fishing villages. It's not the same with manufacturing where the, the business is gone and they looked for someone to blame and it was the EU.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was easy pickings, and I think you know certainly, um, you know Brexit, the people behind that, Nigel Farage and stuff. Certainly, like you know, sparked those fire, re respec, re, spark those fires, flames, whatever you however you say it, and um, got people really angry up there, and um, you know that's that's a big contributor to people in these areas to why Brexit got pushed over the line by by a small you know, bit. But like I think, like. I'm gonna do a music reference here. Like, you can't help, like, if you if you know like a bit of Morrissey or the Smiths you can't help but have like every day is like Sunday buzzing around in your head in the background. So, it's like Morrissey's a bit of a prick you know, off the stage, but you can't argue that like you know lyrically he's absolutely amazing um, and. Yeah, Basically, the production on this song is amazing because it almost sounds like when you kind of stood really far away from the main stage at a festival and it sounds like the music's being blown around, it sounds a little bit like that. It sounds a bit seaside and compared to you know, the Smiths where Johnny Marr would be like doing about 15 or 16 tracks of guitar, this is very, very pared back and it's almost like an onomatopoeic song. And then the lyrics themselves, I mean, I'll read you a couple of verses and you know, the first verse is, trudging slowly over wet sand, back to the bench where your clothes were stolen, this is the coastal town that they forgot to close down. Armageddon, come, Armageddon, come, Armageddon, come. Which would have been very, very nice. <laughs> and then the you know, second verse is uh, hide on the promenade, etch a postcard. How I dearly wish I was not here in a seaside town that they forgot to bomb. Come, 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 nuclear bomb. Um, so it's really, really, really dark. But like, I think it definitely sums up the kind of um, just to p- depressing... Dark, just everything seems grey, and you no. Know, for me, it was a real big inspiration for stuff I've written, fictional stuff I've written, and I uh, you know some non-fictional stuff I've written. Just to do, you know, just because people just seem really out of hope, and you know, out of luck there, and and it and it's it's really depressing, but it's it's kind of fascinating as well. Um, you know, just to see how people try and maybe claw themselves out of that situation. Or maybe just live with it and just, you know, accept it. It's difficult.
0: Now, Blundell Park, there is the game still goes on despite, despite uh, tough economic times. It looks like Blundell Park's been around for a while. They've rebuilt it. It looked like they first started in 1899, obviously, with some redevelopments. What was the
1: the park like? I really liked it, you know, it's, it's, it's lower league fair, um, you know, it's one of those ones where, you know, I said my friend's uh, gran grew up on Blundell Avenue, um, which is right on it, right by it, um, it's just like, you no know, terraced homes all around it, it's very, very close to the seaside, um, quite one, quite large stand, fairly imposing stand, but the other ones are just a, your classic lower league, very, very small, single tier Um yeah, I remember being in the away end. Um, I think it was all seated the away end, if I remember correctly. But you know, Shrewsbury Town, you know, for a small team, travel quite you know quite well away. So it was a good, loud atmosphere. Um, the Grimsby fans were great as well because they kind of get like um, a lot of stick about you know people laugh at them for smelling like fish. Um, so you yeah, they kind of embrace it. Like they were kind of known on. Soccer AM, which is you know, still a show going on, uh, Sky Sports, kind of known as the fishy people. And they embraced it. Um, they kind of like embrace maybe smelling a little bit like fish and stuff. It's, um, it's, it's quality. i see if I can find like um, a little chant now. Oh, yeah, this is actually one of their lyrics to kind of embrace. I have first found it online now to kind of embrace like they don't give a shit. All they do is just go, fish, fish just for a laugh, just to weird people out and just to kind of embrace that they like, you know, we don't care, we stink of fish, we're working people, and this is our lives. So they kind of, yeah, I like how they embrace that they got a kind of a self-deprecating humor about them, which is nice.
0: I love that. Be proud of who you are. And now I'm just sort of checking, one of the big stands that used to be called John Smith's after the the beer has sponsored them. Now, tell me if this is right. Do you know John Smith's, the beer? Yes. Okay, now... Years ago, uh, someone of English heritage, he claimed that, you know, he, with the big cans that they have, he claimed that you, you have to grasp it a certain way, and then you essentially have to down it in three steps. I don't know if that's actually a
1: thing, or if it was just his thing. Had you ever heard anything like that? It sounds like bollocks to me. Um, okay. <laughs> I think it's got like a... Um, it's got, like, a little widget in it, isn't it? So, so I don't think it's going to... It doesn't fizz up or anything like that. Those are fascinating things, widgets and cans. Aren't they? I don't really understand how they work. I do I. I think they're just a gimmick. It's, a, it's amazing because, like, it's there in Guinness as well, and you can just basically just tip a Guinness upside down and you don't get any fizz up on it. They're incredible things, widgets. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, no, maybe that's a bit of a drinking game you had uh, with the John Smiths. But John Smith is always, uh, always cheap in the supermarket, and it's, uh, yeah. it is very smooth. In, easy to drink, you know, kind of in the same way, way that like Boddington's is or something like that. So, it was a um, a drink I drank quite a bit of in my student days, occasionally. <laughs>
0: well, I figured it that does it is one of those uh, cheap ones, but uh, yeah, Grimsby now they do have some some history, in you know they've made a couple FA Cup finals. They have played in the top flight. They're now it looks like they're in sec, in League Two. Uh, looks like they'll be back there next year. They're managed by Ian Holloway. Of all people, oh,
1: no, I know. Uh, I I saw that as well during my research. I mean, people might remember him as the the bloke who you know said a lot of meandering me- metaphors in his funny accent when he was manager of Blackpool during their really really entertaining. <coughs> running the the dream. dream. They I've were really that. good fun that season. Yeah, they had like um, DJ Campbell, Gary Taylor, Fletcher. Um, Charlie Austin made his name there. Um, you know um, Matt Phillips as well. who's a decent winger. Um, I think I don't think he is he with West Brom now. I can't remember. Um, so they added some good players there, and yeah, that was Ian Holloway, and he's quite an interesting character. Um, you know, he's he's a Bristolian, but he's from the outskirts. So that means he's a Bristol Rovers guy. Um, he grows. You know, he's very self. He tries to be self sufficient, so he actually farms in his spare time on his land and grows all his veg and owns pigs and stuff like that. He's a He's a real eccentric, and he's a you know definitely one of those people that English football should you know embrace because you know he's kind of like a relic of previous times.
0: E- eccentric, kind of, kind of like the uh, the supporters of of Grimsby Town then.
1: Yeah, yeah, he, he probably fits right in. Like, if I had to you know pick a manager for Grimsby, he would have definitely been up there just because you know he's he's someone who can definitely he understands fans and I think he makes an effort to understand fans and appreciate them and obviously he's been manager of Blackpool before so he you know experience you know living there and you know Blackpool Stadium's a little bit rickety tickety and it's kind of like slumping a little bit one stand you know back in the day so I think um I think he's ideal for Grimsby Town it's just kind of surprising because he was kind of you know I know he's a bit of a a joke figure for a while, but he was actually quite a highly thought of manager for a time. But now he's, you know, down in league two and I don't know, probably squabbling with financial worries, you know, knowing Grimsby town. <laughs> should we, should we move along then? Yeah, I think so. I think I bought people enough and, you know, I think, uh, I would like to know about the beautiful Island of Bermuda. Oh, um, Bermuda, which, uh, technically, technically,
0: I. Uh, Believe still a territory of the uk so as you might say you know we might say bermuda you might say mine <laughs> with an evil scowl
1: yes the brits are the absolute worst um like how british is it does it seem really british do they have like old school pubs really? and like red telephone boxes and stuff I don't, I don't remember old school
0: pubs or telephone boxes. I, to be fair, I had a, only a little bit of time to walk around Hamilton. But the first thing I see on my little bit of free time that I had poking around is I walk by. There's a Marks and Spencer, and I go, ah, it's, uh, it's the UK because <laughs> we don't, of course, have them in Canada. They're they're only a UK thing. But uh, you know, there it was, thousands of kilometers away on an island sort of way it's away from the Caribbean I don't know how to say Bermuda you know how to describe Bermuda because it's not really in the Caribbean it's sort of north of there on its own um but uh, yeah it's
1: it's the UK but you know with a little island flavor I guess <laughs> and it's really little not it like I was looking at the populations around 70,000 which is the same as my hometown Shrewsbury and actually, know to put a Canadian uh uh comparison sarnia um, is around 70,000 yep. people. So it's a really small place. I mean, could you walk from like one coast to the other, another coast out? Like, how tiny is it?
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it, you know, the airport is not that big. And within a few minutes, you can be anywhere on the island. I actually crashed with <laughs> twice in my time freelancing covering Canada soccer. I believe this is something, a revelation I'm making to people, is twice in my time covering Canadian soccer. I have utilized Uh, the website couchsurfing.com org because like in Bermuda there's they limit essentially the amount of you know hotel space it can't be covered in resorts and this and that so there are only so many Um, and it would have been an arm and a leg so uh, as a freelancer I got to be as you know frugal as I can be so I go to couchsurfing. I contacted a guy who seemed you know normal he was a Canadian guy there is a big Canadian expat community, because there's, you know, it's heavy on the finance, and uh, crashed at a guy's place for a couple nights for, for free, and he had a duck, it was great, it waddled inside, and they could hear the little feet smacking
1: as it waddled into the house, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's small, hang on, he, he no, was kind of, I need to know more about the duck, I need to know more about okay. this duck, what, what what was its name, and like, <laughs> what, what, what like, how, how... What, does, it, what, does it have like a little litter tray that it poops Like, I don't understand it.
0: it. Well, it, has a, it had a cage outside. I believe its name was Jupiter. Um, it had a cage outside, <laughs> and he had a big bowl to sort of splash around in. I think it was a rescue. Like, he found it, nursed it back to health, and then was kind of like, maybe I'll release it again. And then I sort of went, uh, I don't know if it can go out into the wild anymore. But no, he, you know, one time he just, you know, it stayed outside, you know, because he's not a crazy person. But, you know, at one point he's just like, yeah, I sometimes bring him in. And he just sort of tossed a few food things. And I just hear smack, 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 smack. And in waddles this duck. And I thought it was amazing. But, no, I had a good time with, uh, I think his name was Sean. Good guy. Um, A Canadian. Yeah, and he had a duck. And, you know, we just stayed in this nice little house. Um, And, uh, you know, the first night I was there... The Canadian expat community that lives down there—they've made a, uh—you know—you would say a floor hockey rink, except it's outside, not far from the water. You hear the waves crashing, and you know it was essentially hockey night in Bermuda, where there are a couple guys, you know, bringing their sticks and patting, putting their gear on, and then uh, running out to play some some ball hockey, and it was, uh, it was just—it was one of those more surreal experiences, especially because this was a January camp in. Uh, I believe it was 2017, and those January camps for Canada are always kind of, you know, well, like any CONCACAF team. They're always just sort of makeshift rosters. You can't really take them seriously. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the image of Canadians playing in Hamilton, Bermuda in January uh, playing hockey was, uh, yeah, it was just one of those more <laughs> random moments I've experienced covering the team.
1: It's funny that you talk about the, the strong expat community because I was talking to my mate Ahmed, um, who lived in Bermuda for a while, um, came back in 2011. He's, he's originally from Guyana, um, and he said he found it really hard to be accepted by the locals there. Um, he said that they, there's kind of like, he kind of, the way he described it is, it seems like there's almost like a snootiness about the Bermudan people because they kind of saw themselves as like not really South American, not really, really Caribbean, not really American, and just kind of saw themselves a little bit. Above that, and I said to him, "You know, why do you think that is?" And he says he thinks it might be because of you know because it is a very well off island. There's a lot of wealthy people there, and also maybe just a little bit of the you know Britishness to him, um, which I can understand. Um, I mean, did you no know, and and he said he you know ended up hanging around with a load of British people in the end. Um, so you no, know, did you ex- experience any maybe rudeness from the locals?
0: No, I mean, well, to be fair, I had this was one of those trips where I didn't have tons of, you know, interaction with locals. I mean, I was staying with a Canadian, um, you know, I think I had a poutine just to show, uh, you know, I've mentioned Rudy Schuler, to another Canadian soccer journalist. He, uh, he's the poutine aficionado and normally I try to eat local, but you know, I'm like, here's a place that has poutine. Take that Rudy. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there are a few guys in the press box. I was sitting right next to the guys who were doing the the radio commentary, the local commentary. Um, and you know, everyone seemed pleasant enough. I didn't really have anything bad to say, but you know, I'll, I'll buttress that by saying I, I didn't actually meet tons of locals. The Canadian guy drove me around quite nicely because he always seemed to be headed the right way. Um, and yeah, it was one of those times where, yeah I, my experience was limited and this one was more scenery and, and and
1: soccer and that was it and what's the scenery like over there i mean i've seen some pictures of the beautiful beaches i kind of like got a little bit of a fascination with this place because um my favorite player of all time sean Gota, um who's they going gold to say, feed the goat i know he's goals fired city out of the lower leagues um he yeah you know, I just love him. He started playing for North Village um, and then kind of you know forgot his big move to Man United actually before he eventually got to City. Um, but yeah, I just looked at pictures of Bermuda and I always wanted to go there as a kid because my favourite player was from there and it just looks beautiful some of the coastline there. I mean, how much did you get to venture out to these places and you know we mentioned before? Did you do a little bit of uh, birding when you were there as well?
0: I, I did. There was a little park nearby, um that I just sort of wandered around in. It wasn't near the water, it didn't get tons of time sort of seaside. Um I found this little park kind of inland and since it was January, um, you know, there were some some of the the migrants that we get up in Ontario who are wintering down there. So I was just like, Ah, I'll see you soon, kind of thing. Um but yeah, I mean I found these, these little sort of tranquil kind of you know waters and almost grottos and caves that obviously I couldn't get into, but, um, yeah. I mean, I got a little bit of chance to wander around, uh, just sort of get the vibe. Of course, there is the whole driving on your crazy side of the road. Um, yeah, it is. It is very English. But I had, yeah, it just just the little snippets of time to, to experience it. I mean, I of course I would love to to see more of it, and you know, with World Cup qualifying coming up it's, it's I suppose it's possible that it could happen again dependent on you know global conditions but um, yeah I mean it, it was it was sort of just that little appetizer that you know made you certainly want to go back but since you know there are limited accommodations and not you know there's not sort of the, the chain hotels of resorts going up and down the beach which is you know in my mind a good thing, uh, it does sort of limit the options and sort of jack up the price because it is an, a, an expensive place.
1: And because of those limits, which you know, sound like a really clever idea to preserve a place, you know, considering you know some places you go to in Europe which are just bloody awful because um, they've been ruined by you know, British people building a red lion pub there. I mean, like, is this a- an island that's not ruined by tourism in any way? I mean, I know it's got a big expat community there, but you know, is is do you not see that many tourists there? Not really. I mean,
0: uh, yeah, it was you know, like I said, apart from the, the people there for, you know, working in finance, um, it was not overrun. I mean, when I was walking around Hamilton, it was actually quite quiet. And I mean, it's January, I'm not sure what the sort of peak season is. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it was, it was relaxed, it was very calm. Um, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't hectic with tourists. And you will be the first to sort of say that, um, I am not a fan of touristy places, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so it was—it was certainly, you know, quite
1: quite relaxed. And um, I suppose we should probably talk about sport. Um, so I, I I asked you know Ahmed as well, you know, where football is in the hierarchy. And he said it's up there with cricket. He actually thinks football's the most popular. And he said that, you know, while he was there, it got quite tribal from pub to pub over which Premier League team it represented. Um, He's an Arsenal fan. You know, you and him are like the only nice Arsenal fans in the world, I think. Um, And then then he said after that, it's probably rugby and running. Um, But he said that football is, in his view, number one. Um, I mean did they have a raucous support were they actually bothered by this friendly match being played did it draw a large, large crowd was there I do... you know drinking and marching beforehand i mean like what was the atmosphere like for it it,
0: it was it was subdued it was a very january friendly kind of crowd the bermuda national stadium though it's part of this sort of big athletic complex where you know you look on the other side of the stand is there was you know a couple field hockey pitches or as as you would call it in your land hockey and, uh, <laughs> you know, I think there was, there was a, a sort of a, an a, a swimming diving complex as well. So it was a really nice facility. Um, I don't remember it being too hectic. There was some some decent support that came out. The I remember the radio commentators talking about, you know, how they can get up the CONCACAF rankings. And it did seem like there was a significant following. And, you know, I think we have seen some of the youth teams sort of qualifying for CONCACAF events and uh, there is there is room to grow on the gay, day that I went to you mentioned Sean Goder on the day that I went to uh, one Reggie Lamb
1: formerly of Toronto FC wow. was
0: uh, on the pitch for them
1: well I, I know I quite liked Reggie when he played for TFC I mean obviously I don't think you get in TFC's team now I mean they don't scout they don't pick up players from Ipswich Town reserves anymore. They actually get players with a bit more <laughs> pedigree. But um, I quite enjoyed Reggie. He was a little bit, a uh, little bit loose on the wing. He was quite fun to watch. I quite enjoyed him. And then, you know, I remember actually around that time, uh, Paul Mariner is in charge, and I remember him actually openly saying that Bermuda was a place who was seriously looking to recruit players. And you know, I remember getting excited about this because I thought it was quite cool that it can be kind of like you know pitching those. Anchoring up a ship there and go and pick up a few players, but it's been light on you know on talent coming out of there. I mentioned the goat. Uh, the goat is the best player of all time. That's why he's called the goat. Um, we have got uh, you know Kyle Lightbourne had a good career there. Think he played for Coventry City. Reggie Lamb. I don't know what happened to him. Um, and then the, probably the biggest player they've had recently is Naki Wells, um, who was a really good lower league striker. Um, you know, he actually plundered quite a lot of goals, but then he made a very, very ill-advised move to Burnley. And, you know, if you don't kind of abide by Sean Dyche's kind of very agricultural, um, ugly football, you're not going to get games <laughs> there. Um, so it, it went really badly for That's that. That's
0: a good way of putting
1: it. Yeah, it's 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 horrible stuff to watch. I, yeah, um, so... I think he's at Bristol City now, um, so he's getting a little bit more game time. They've had a change of manager there recently, so we'll see how that works out for him next season. But, um, yeah, they've been a little bit light for football talent, to say there is you no know, an island that really enjoys the sport. Yeah, and
0: uh, there is, you know, I think there is sort of untapped potential in CONCACAF, and uh, it is one of those spots where, you know, the the population is relatively small, but you only need, you know, 11, 11, guys on the field. And I think their women's program has also made some, some tentative steps forward. And, uh, you know, like I said, nice facility in terms of, uh, quality, it was, it's not big, it's, it's maybe 9,000 capacity, but in CONCACAF, it's one of your, you know, your nicer facilities in terms of, you know, what's there, uh, cause there are some, some ramshackle establishments to be polite, uh, you know, it would be interesting to see how they, you know, they do coming up in the next little while, whenever it is that we'll get back to the international game. But, um, just a random thought again, that, that I sort of forgot to mention earlier is that the islands, the series of islands, they are sort of isolated and, and the hurricane potential is there. And I remember asking, uh, the guy I was staying with, I'm like, what, uh you know, what's it like hurricane season? And he, and he explained that, you know, there are sort of reefs around the islands and that really kind of slows, takes out some of the power of a lot of these hurricanes. So they don't really ever get troubled by them, which, uh, you know, isn't too bad, especially for that lovely part of the world. Sorry for the random aside.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. That's quite interesting because I obviously there's that whole thing about a Bermuda Triangle and one of those points is Bermuda. They're, you know, that is like a lot of, stories about planes and ships going down there so they must be victims to that but obviously Bermuda being on the corner are far enough away from it so they kind of get away from it a little bit. Um, when you were there did you drink a rum swizzle by any chance? Um, it's supposed to be quite potent. Um, I know that the, the the swizzle in is quite the, uh, apparently very very good for it. It has black rum, gold rum, lemons, pineapple juice, orange juice, a special Bermudan syrup liqueur with uh, ginger, lime, and almond and stuff in it, and bitters, and apparently it's supposed to be absolutely potent. Did you get your lips around any of those? It doesn't ring a
0: bell. It was a very short trip, and now that, you know, we're, there, there are things that I know that I missed already, but we can add that to the list. But yeah, it was only there a handful of nights, so uh, yeah, add that one to the list. And the other thing I didn't see... Nobody was in Bermuda shorts. It's like the opening ceremony of the Olympics were lying to me every time when the guys walk in carrying the flag and they're always wearing Bermuda shorts.
1: Well, it's like, yeah, it's like a myth, isn't it? Because is it the Panama Panama hats that are famous and they're actually from Ecuador? The Equu- yes. They're actually from Ecuador, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, uh, you know, it's like Shropshire blue cheese. My home county's cheese is actually from Aberdeen, but they called it Shropshire to make it sound nicer. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, Panama hat. And Bermuda Hawk, short's an absolute myth. So there you go. So you've learned a few things today in uh, in this podcast. <laughs> the important things we teach here. Exactly, yeah. You'd learn a lot about how depressing British Eastside towns are. Uh, <laughs> and how, how,
0: how, how, how your, your, your culture has spread everywhere and...
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess I, I, the,
0: sun, the sun still hasn't set yet on the, uh, the British Empire. There still are your little vestiges to hang on to.
1: I know. I, I'd be absolutely amazed if anyone's come all the way through this after my ode to Morrissey and actually listened to you a bit, Gavin, so I apologize for that. <laughs> oh, I'm leaving that in, so they'll, they'll have earned it. Trust me.
0: <laughs> With that, should we wrap things up for another uh, edition?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, again, we don't know what we're about. Talk- Actually, no, we do know what we're talking about next because we've got a guest. We've got a we guest, do. Gavin, my f- You've my done friend this and fun. colleague. Yeah, my friend and colleague Devang Desai is going to talk about his time in South Korea. We um, spent I am a very, very to that yeah, very big part of his life. I think he said it when I asked him. I think he said a year and a half he was there for. So he took in some football, took in a bit of baseball. And you may have known if you listen to previous episodes, that me and Gav like a baseball. Um, so, Korean
0: baseball. We'll we'll make sure that uh, if John Molinero's is listening, we'll let sure we'll make sure to let him know at what point he can mute our podcast if he's listening to that next one for, about Korea.
1: Exactly, exactly. No, I'm looking forward to getting Devang on, and uh, you know he's he's also the uh, the guy behind a football podcast. Um, you know he's a he's a you know a very very good show that we'd like to promote because it you know probably has a similar audience to us, but doesn't do anything similar. So we're not stepping on each other's toes, every guy. And he could always cross promote ours, but you know, we'll we'll see. Yeah, mate. And they're not going to want the, us on as a guest, are we? We'd like. Come on, we just like kind of mumble through this. I know, but
0: it sounds okay. I've liked it so far. That's a good. <laughs> all right, all right dude, well, we'll wrap it up.
1: All right, thanks for listening, everyone. Cheers. Nicely done. Take care, everybody.